0: Visit RobertHalf.com today.
1: He is just an obsessive goal scorer. But they really have to understand I trust to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, and the Bernabéu
2: blinks it back. I've got a problem with soccer, speaker. Tip- oh! oh what a start! They can guarantee to you that they
1: want to keep everything secret. Hey, everybody, welcome to House of Champions. We have some incredible matches here today, and we have the analyst to bring all the insights and their expertise. But as always, be sure to smash like and comment, and always leave us a five star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We would really, really appreciate that. But let's get into the mixer. We have In Soccer We trust own Heath Pierce, HP3. How are we doing today?
0: I'm doing good, man. A wild uh, day of matches, obviously, and some incredible ones to look forward to. But goals galore. Some of them uh, well-earned, some of them uh, a little bit sketchy defending, but I'm excited to talk about it. And It's great to see Lucho again. I haven't seen this guy in a bit.
1: Yeah, always good to have you on, Heath. And of course, Luis Garcia, the only champion that we have on the House of Champions when it comes to the big stage. Lucho, how are you doing today?
2: All good. all good. Good to see you too, Heath. And yeah, looking forward to seeing and break down all these matches that every time we find some good stories, every time we find some surprising results. And once again, Portugal winning. So let's talk about it.
1: Uh, Let's dive right into it. I love that you said that Portugal wins because for a a big stretch of this match, it did not come easy and it did not look as if Portugal was going to get the breakthrough. Bruno Fernandes or was it Chris Charonario? Let's start with that. Who would you give that goal to on the first goal?
2: I still don't know to be honest I still don't know because uh, uh, in the first moment I was watching I said I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it to uh, Bruno Fernandes why is that because Cristiano Ronaldo scored so many goals he's the only player who scored in five different world cups so I'm going to give it to Bruno Fernandes I think today was one of the most uh, exciting players to watch and uh, talking about uh, another great result for Portugal uh, for a moment I think in the beginning of this tournament No one was talking a lot about this Portugal side. There is a lot of talent in that squad. We were talking about Argentina, France, even Belgium, one of the sides, not even that much uh, Spain, England, uh, Germany. But no one about Portugal and definitely is a lot of talent up front. You can see the replacement that you go into the, Juco, in the two, second half with Rafael Leao. Of course, having Joel Felix in a fantastic form, I still don't know why he doesn't play as often for Atletico Madrid. And today wasn't a very easy cookie to play against Uruguay with the needs of getting a good result. The problem is that up front, Uruguay doesn't have... Even though they have three of the most probably exciting strikers with Luis Suárez, with Nunez Cavani they don't have maybe the midfield that uh, Portugal has got to bring that talent, to bring that creativity up front to uh, kind of uh, get the end product. So at the end, once again, a very competitive Portugal. The, the Portugal that always delivers get a great result and, well, they are qualified.
0: Yeah, and on top of that, obviously, Rafael Leao coming off the bench just shows you how much <clears throat> sorry, uh, quality and depth this team has. As, as you mentioned, Lucho, Not a lot of talk about this, but once you see the names and the players that they're putting out on the field, you can see how they're a contender. I'm going to give the goal to to Ronaldo. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing it was probably Fernandez, but the way (laughs) Ronaldo celebrated, you can only hope that, like, how can you go against somebody that's going to celebrate that much (laughs) unless they're running straight to their teammate? He was running to the corner flag as if it was his goal, so I'm going to give it to him until further review. But I haven't had a chance to really look at it at a number of angles. But, again, a really good squad. And this is one of the first matches of this tournament and, that, and I don't like to compare club teams to national teams, but when you looked at the way these teams played, there was this DNA and this makeup of, of this cohesion that you really only see in, in club teams and the way that they attack, the build-up play, the counterattacks, the quality of players that can drive the ball up the field and create something spectacular on their own. It was just an overall a really good match, but again, a, a great win for Portugal that sets them up perfectly heading into the knockout rounds.
1: Yeah, I was impressed. I love how both of you said that in terms of the importance of this game. I was impressed with the mental fortitude from Portugal. Let's take you back to four years ago. This was a rematch of the Round of 16 matchup where Portugal was on the wrong side of a 2-1 loss to Uruguay. Edison Cavani, four years younger. Luis Suarez, four years younger. But one player that stood out for me today with Uruguay before we round out Portugal... Bentecourt, Rodrigo Bentacor this guy had the moment of moments for Uruguay. They had a couple chances in the second half. What do you make of this midfield for Uruguay, the likes of Bentecourt, Feder Valverde? I'm going to come to you, Heath, and I think Vecino as well, who's in that midfield three.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. Obviously, uh, Bentecourt at the national team level, I think, is a different level of player in terms of the responsibility that he has. My only downside with them is that it looked like and it felt like for a lot of times that they thought they were going to continue to get goal-scoring opportunities and didn't convert. They seemed a little bit casual connecting that midfield line up into the attack, almost like they thought that this was going to happen continuously and they were going to be able to get the win out of it. But in terms of the quality, when you think about Valverde, when you think about Bentacor, I mean, it's unbelievable midfield. But as Lucho said earlier... Do they have the ability now between them and then the age gap to, to, to get more out of these games? Like you said, Michael Hood, four years ago was a long, long time ago in terms of these players and, and where they are at in terms of their scoring. You look at Luis Suarez getting that half chance on his left foot um, at one point in the match where it's just or earlier in his career or at other points in his life, he would have been automatic from there, but goes wide of the target. But overall, in terms of that midfield, something really, really uh, to look forward to in terms of their age and, and then the upside of these players.
2: Oh. Listen, Mike. To be honest, if you have a look, sorry, uh, the the end product is where you get the points, where you have the ability to the strikers to finish a product. And today, mm-hmm. they both of the, the teams they got three shots on target, but uh, two, one, only one team got two goals. This is the the why the, they make the big difference. When we are talking about a very strong lineup, a very strong uh, midfield with your uh, players. There yeah, is fight. There is battle. They kind of win in the middle of the part, But at the end, when you arrive to the last, there is when you make the difference. And in Portugal's side, you got so many players. And mm-hmm. we talk a little bit about Rafael a, but you got uh, Bruno Fernandes, you got uh, Silva, you got Joao Félix, you got Cristiano Ronaldo. They, all of them can score goals. That's a massive difference what we are talking, going through to the knockout stages.
1: So we've had two matches so far for both of these teams. This group has had two matches. And when we look at this Portuguese team, because we have to always give the winners their love, what do you think you've seen that they do so well? Because they're a team that there are some question marks going in. How good could they be? On paper, they look like just lights out. So I'll go to you, Lucho. I mean, what did you see over these two games that you've seen that they do really well that makes them such a good contender for this World Cup?
2: You mean Portugal? Yeah, Portugal. Yeah, because what because they always compete. I think that there is something in this team. There is something on the DNA of the Portuguese sides that they always compete. You can see them playing, suffering, and sometimes uh, and maybe not playing well, but they get the result. They get it. They get it done. I remember. It was like eight years ago, seven, uh, six years ago. It was, I think, a European competition that they were almost out of the competition. Eh, yeah, Portugal, nothing to do. And suddenly they win and they qualify only just with, uh, with the draw and another draw and competing. And no one was counting with them. But then they appear and they continue competing because at the end, it's a team that at the back. They always know how to uh, be well organized, how to be disciplined and Of course, the talent, they always have players with ability, with creativity, and with uh, uh, the way of finishing in goal. And now, today wasn't probably the best uh, dazzling performance of Portugal, but they get a good result against a very strong Uruguayan side. So at the end, that's what scares me uh, the most, is that they always compete well. And when it matters, then it's going to be in the next knockout, in the next game, that's what Portugal shows. So, yeah, I can see them uh, to be a, a good contender for the World Cup.
0: Yeah, I agree. Not not much more to add to that, uh, Mike. In terms of just this quality of this team, right? They've got the fight. They've got the bite. They've got those guys that are that are that are killers. They're willing to put their head where you're not wanting to put your foot and that's an important factor and then obviously with the x factors as lucio just mentioned it puts them in a good position to stay within games they have individual players that can keep them in matches if the team is not having the best of matches in terms of the aesthetic or their style of play like like a match like today they still have players that can that can bring them into the into the game or win them games whether that's fernandez whether that's uh you know cristiano ronaldo they have so much world class talent around them that they as long as they can keep that scoreline close and keep their defense tight and keep that mental Fortitude of fighting, they're gonna have chances to beat just about anybody.
1: Yeah, just well said from both of you. Portugal once again 2-0, massive victory for them, massive loss for Uruguay, makes it all to play for in the final match day. Interesting matchups to come, which takes us to the next match. Ghana, big points, three points. In their second game against South Korea, a game that really could have gone either way and a game that delivered all the theatrics, all the goals, and really wasn't a poster child for depend- defending. So coming to you, Heath, what was your overall take in this game?
0: Yeah, I thought Korea came out strong, a very different looking Korea. When I saw South Korea play in their opening match, I thought they were a little bit timid, something that I thought they'd have a little bit more bite to their game. But to see this match, they came with a real plan and a real attitude that they were going to make it. uh, They were going to fight like hell against Ghana and make it very, very difficult for them. And then all of a sudden you see two balls from wide areas come in and Ghana find themselves up in front, and then to see that reaction again from South Korea, to tap back into it, to fight, I thought, man, this is Korea's, this is Korea's night. They've, they started strong. They, they had a moment of weakness. They gave up a couple goals. Now they fought themselves back into this game again on, on two fantastic goals from their number nine uh, to get into good positions. You could feel that momentum swing but Ghana did not give up, and again, off of some spotty defending, were able to uh, grind out this result in, in a day that I thought Korea were probably the better team in terms of how they played collectively, but Ghana doesn't care about any of that. They were out there to get, so, get some points, and they were able to take all three in the
2: end. Yeah, exactly. It's about winning. And they don't think about uh, just speculation with the with the score. They just go for it. I think, once again, the Arsenal player in midfield, Thomas Partey, was incredible. He was holding, uh, he was yeah. contending, he was creating that partnership with uh, Iñaki Williams that at some point here in Spain also, is a player uh, that plays a front, runs every single time, fights until he cannot even move anymore. He's got that fight to to find the, the net. It's true that he doesn't have always or doesn't capitalize his chances, but he's always that fight. And I always like to give a, a good shout out because he works every single time so much. And, of course, they got this, this kid, Kudos, that he's been the, the young... Talent from uh, Ajax side that is just amazing. He was surprising us in Champions League. We were saying, "But uh, where yeah. is he coming from?" And suddenly, he just arrived to the national team and he started showing what is he capable of. A lot of ability, that a quick feet that he got, that ability to finish uh, every single play. So I, I was impressed once again with him because it's not the first time. And in the other side with uh, Korea. Paulo Bento once again waiting for the last minute to get In Lee. In Lee has been yeah. very impressive in the in La Liga and I don't know why he tried to use him because his ability is unpredictable, he's very quick, his left foot is just fantastic and he's just waiting to see. He brings uh, different players in the first uh, 60 minutes to see if they can manage, who can tire the, the the opponent. But at the end, once again, creative players are very d- difficult to find in much more in Korea. So if you have one, Yes, use it. And I think they pay off tonight.
1: Uh, well said from both of you. Both of you have seen young talent, been around young talent, been y- young talent yourselves at the highest level. When you look at the likes of Mohamed Kudus, I love this kid. been just banging the bell for him since the Afghan Cup of Nations. He's wild and thrilled in the Dutch you know, First League and now in the UEFA Champions League. How good, come to you, Lucho, how good do you think, what's the ceiling for the likes of Mohamed Kudus at this World Cup, given what we've seen,
2: uh, but I mean, uh, big. There is good a lot, a big room for improvement. He's only 22, but I like this fearless. He's grabbing the ball. He goes for you. He doesn't um, uh, wait to see it, what happened. When you are 22, sometimes and you come because it's been the explosion. It's been in year and a half, something like that. And suddenly he's got so much confidence. He knows on his game. He knows what he has to do. He knows that when he's in the, in the middle of the park, he needs to play quick and go to try to arrive to that last third. And when he's on the ball near the box, wow, it's just unpredictable. He grabs the ball and it goes to you and he doesn't wait for uh, for any other to, to to appear. So, I mean, it's fantastic. And where I'm surprised the most is when he's near the, the, the area, he just looks for the ball. He doesn't look anywhere else.
1: Yeah, he's, he's definitely a difference maker. I've seen an improvement in him just from one year to the next and the ability to be that definitive force in the final third. While well, one player who is a definitive force in midfield, Heath, you are an Arsenal fan. I know you're very big on this guy. Having talked with you and done shows with you, Thomas Partey. What have you seen in his game that's made him one of the best defensive midfielders, in my opinion, this season?
0: Well, it, it, you know, it goes back to the time that I I think there was this gap between how good he was and how renowned he was. And I would love to get Lucho's take on this at, 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 at when he was in Spain. He was so good and he was so dominant on the field. He could cover so mm-hmm. much ground. He could control the tempo. He just seemed like, more like a complete midfielder like we saw in the likes of Patrick Vieira and others that you just always felt his presence, whether he was getting in hard on the challenge, speeding up the game, slowing it down, just making sure you always knew he was on the field. We're seeing that this season. We're seeing that with his role within the national team right now. And he just has that ability to always be present. And I think uh, in that position, sometimes that's we ask so much of our central midfielders now and we expect them to be a 10 when we have the ball, a six defensively, an eight when they need to be. And he's just got so many of those tools that he's really starting to become more of a complete player, which I like. And by the way, on kudos before we come back to to Partey, this is a player that came through the same club that was my first club, FC Norcalen in Denmark, and probably the most exciting prospect out of Right to Dream Academy, obviously, the Right to Dream Academy that owns FC Norcalen now that – that developed him before sending him on to Ajax. And he's a player that I think they believe still has more upside than any player that's ever come through the club. So I think, you know, for those that have been watching him for a long time, they certainly believe that he's on a trajectory that perhaps maybe others haven't seen until they've seen him uh, most recently at Ajax. But to get back to, to, to Partey there... Uh, you know, I'm curious, uh, Lucho's thoughts on just just the player that he's the season that he's having compared to, to, to what he was like in La Liga and sort of that gap in between when he first got to Arsenal and the expectations were high that maybe he didn't live up to those expectations.
2: Yes, of course. Uh, it was fifty million. It's a lot of money that you spend on a midfielder coming from Atletico de Madrid. In Atletico de Madrid, was the key player. It seemed like he is replacing he, he was replacing Rodri who uh, moved to uh, Manchester City. So it was a big gap over there. A lot of expectations. But suddenly he became uh, like a massive into the midfield. He, he's got the ability to have the ball, to pass, to arrive in second line. He started scoring goals, and when he arrived to Arsenal. Everybody was expecting that, but Arsenal was not in the in the way that is right at the moment. There is a big transition happening on the team. He suddenly got a big injury. He couldn't come back for quite a few months, and that kind of slowed him down. But now at the moment, once again, you can see that when he's on the field everybody is, is got more freedom. Odegaard is having a lot more freedom because he knows that behind him is a player who can cover so much grass, who can cover so much space. And when he's on the ball, he can give you that uh, fluency. He can give you that uh, speed that Arsenal needs to play. So, yeah, it's uh, no ceiling for this uh, part uh, at the moment. And Arsenal is uh, very, very happy to have him back on, on the team.
1: Yeah, it's no coincidence that the teams that have yeah. him in their midfield tend to have more wins then they do losses or at least positive results, which takes us to this match day three in this group, Group H. We have to go with the headliner, Uruguay versus Ghana. A lot of bad blood that goes back to 2010. For those of you watching to remind you, in 2010, Ghana, Uruguay and the World Cup quarterfinals, Luis Suarez, this guy can't help but be the villain in many, many tales, soccer tales, gets a handball. It's 1-1. And then Uruguay, I think it was Asmo Gian, skies a penalty. Uruguay goes on to win and get. To the World Cup semifinals. Quick prediction, wait, hold on, guys. Mike. How are you how are you gonna how are you gonna how, are you, gonna,
0: how are you gonna skip them beating the U.S. Uh, in the round of 16 before you get us <laughs> out? Okay, Ghana shouldn't have, have been that should have been the U.S. taking on Uruguay, and there shouldn't be any of that history there. So, but we'll leave that for another time.
1: <laughs> well, we'll leave that for in soccer we trust, and yeah. also for after these match day results because I think it's going to be a barn burner. But quick prediction: Portugal also going. Sorry, I, I said it wrong. Or Portugal also going against. South Korea in the final group stage match. But quick predictions from either of you. Heath, I'll start with you because you got the fire in your belly.
0: Yeah, it's really tough to say here. I mean, my gut tells me I want to see Uruguay go through. But the, again, it's that final product, as Lucho mentioned. It all comes down to scoring goals. We, we Aesthetics mean nothing, especially in group play. And on the final match day, they're going to have to take bigger risks, probably put themselves in, into better positions. I'd love to see them go through. But when you look at that and you look how wide open this is, you can't help but think that maybe the, the the table stands the same. I mean, you can't write off South Korea at any point at all. Uh, Ghana, I've obviously proven that they can be a contender. But when I look at that, it's, it's Uruguay that I think can beat Ghana to be able to maybe sneak out in, and into the knockout rounds. But that's probably one of the hardest groups for me to predict in terms of who's going to come out on match day three. Um, or in the group stage match day three. Lucha, what's your take on this?
2: Yeah, I'm going to go for Ghana, to be honest, because of Ooh. that, because they got in the product. Yeah, I mean, at the end, Uruguay, in two games, they haven't found a net for once. And uh, uh, Ghana got two for Portugal. They they can score. They score five goals in, in the last uh, couple of games. So I think that this team, with the spirit, with the fight that they're going to have, and knowing that if they win, they can go through, this team could be unstoppable. And of course, Yeah, they are going to give a little bit of chances, but well, if the chances are not taken by Uruguay, they're going to be well. So I'm going to go for Ghana to go with Portugal.
1: Oh, Some contentious picks in this final match day. Luis Garcia going for the Black Stars. Heath HP3 Pierce going for Uruguay. We'll see how it all breaks down. Speaking of breaks, we're going to a break next. Hey, welcome back to House of Champions. Speaking of champions, we have Luis Lucho Garcia here, HP3, a champion in his own right. And me, I'm a champion in my own mind. Uh quick <laughs> promo read for all of you. The soccer world's eyes are focused on Qatar for the biggest event on the global stage. Stay up to date with every story, every heart-pounding moment with the Galasso Starting 11 newsletter from CBS Sports. It's your ultimate guide to the beautiful game, taking you beyond the pitch and around the globe with expert analysis of everything you need to know in the soccer world. Sign up today for free at cbssports.com slash Galazzo. Once again, the Galazzo Starring 11 newsletter, and you can sign up for free at cbssports.com slash Galazzo. We got to pay the bills, folks. We got to do the promos. Now on to the good stuff, the game that got me up out of bed. And I think most of you, Lucho, you're hours ahead of us. But before we get into that, Big update coming from Fabrizio Romano. Big news in Turin. Juventus, just when things were going well, seems like the house is back on fire. The entire board stepping down, including their president, Pavel Nedvel as well, the vice president. Uh, Agnelli, Andrea Agnelli stepping down as president, Nedved as vice president. Just quick word from you. What the hell is going on in Turin, and how does this affect things for Juventus after the World Cup?
2: But I, I, I listen, to, to first thing, what, what has happened is World Cup. No one has to be doing anything. <laughs> they have to be training. and what, what's it? I mean, I still don't know. I was shocked when I heard about this news. And and it's a big mess because, when, like you all said, when you think that you have time to start recovering, start focusing, and getting confident, you got a few good results just before the, the break of the World Cup. And then suddenly you think, okay, now we're going to work. We're going to wait for the... Uh, players, we got around and let's see if when they come back, we can get stronger and get back to those uh, top positions in, in, in El Caccio, in Serie A. And this, I don't know where it's coming from. We'll have to wait and see Fabrizio Romano to explain a little bit more, but that definitely is a is a massive blow for a team that he was trying to get back to the old days, trying to get back to the top positions. And now uh, they're going to have to wait and see who is going to get those positions uh, on the board.
0: Yeah, this is crazy to me. I mean, as Lucho mentioned, one, you're in the middle of the World Cup. So what's the point? Two, you're in you're in actually a decent run of form right now. So when you think about the project, they use the word project quite a bit in terms of uh, Juventus and, and, and where they're trying to go. And I, I see Juventus very much like any sort of uh, global recession that we're in now. It's usually happening a few years before anybody actually realizes it. By the time you realize it, it's probably a little bit too late to make some of the changes that you need to make. But they're in a great run of form right now. And most of their players are, are, are probably gone. It's a quiet locker room. So I feel like there must be something bigger here in terms of, you know, perhaps some bombshell news or, or, or some sort of controversy that's going to come out surrounding this or to hide some sort of controversy. Because it feels a little bit out of place when you think about uh, uh, the board, full board resigning in the way that they have. So I'm interested to see the way. Uh, or what's actually behind all of this, and look forward to hearing uh, Fabrizio's take. I know he's got the inside scoop of what's going on with this, but it certainly feels a little bit out of the, the wild to, to, to be happening in this exact moment.
1: Yeah, uh, Fabrizio Romano, remember, will be with us this week to give us more scoop. He's the guy that's got the scoop of scoops. If you need to know anything about soccer or what's going on behind the scenes, Fabrizio Romano is your guy. Back to World Cup action, Group G, This is the group that also continues to keep on giving. And today it was goals from Africa, Cameroon representing West Africa. Well, three, three result between Cameroon and Serbia woke up early for this match. It did not fail to deliver. And just from you, Heath, what did you take from this match? Because when I was watching it, one minute I thought Cameroon was in trouble. The next minute I thought Serbia was the greatest (laughs) team I've ever seen. And then I came back thinking, what the hell did I just watch?
0: Well, yeah. When I think about just uh, some of these African nations in terms of their goal scoring ability, you look at the first round and I think it was one goal scored for, uh, across all the African nations. And then they've just opened up the floodgates in terms of scoring ability. And you're starting to see some of that creative and attacking. And perhaps it was just a little bit of that fire that was needed. This is another one where I was a little bit skeptical of some of the defending. And again, mm-hmm. To see a team come uh, go up a goal and then to go down multiple goals and to come back into this match, I think, is such a a testament to the quality of these teams. And what I'm seeing is just teams now being willing to convert on on mistakes, convert on opportunities in a way that you don't always see. The, The quality is so high in these international matches, you could call it bad defending. But for teams to be able to get one chance and to convert on those chances, you're not seeing matches that have 15, 20 shots a game or 10, 15 shots on target. You're seeing very, very tight uh, statistics where teams are converting at a very high level. And this is one where, yes, there was some suspect defending throughout, but overall, fantastic match and one that was really, really entertaining.
2: Yeah, definitely. And uh, well, I I was expecting something like this from uh, Cameron's side much more after knowing what happened with Onana when he was leaving, apparently because he wasn't... He didn't agree with the with the coach to be involved in the team that he plays. just has uh, ball, long balls or doesn't really like to 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 build from the back. It was kind of weird. So that kind of make a little bit um, uncertainty into the dressing room. And and it, there are normally African teams. They they kind of lose um, the the organization, the discipline. So they start making mistakes at the back. But I wasn't expecting that from the Serbian side. I mean, this this is a team playing with five at the back. They're always. Keep very tight, very together, and you go players up front that they always creative. They go always um, a good uh, chance to 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 build and to do something, scoring goals. But nothing at all to concede that way, and allowing to score in the last in the last part of the game two goals. I think it was a very poor result for them. They could have done it and almost have a one one foot in the next uh, knockouts. But at the end, they allowed to Cameroon to believe that they have something to say on the on this yeah. World Cup.
1: Yeah, I thought that we got to see both teams in spurts at their best and at their worst for Serbia. Really impressed with that front three. Dusan Tadic getting involved in terms of supply line to that front line. Mitrovic getting that all-important World Cup goal. Milinkovic, Savage, a player who's Thrive leads Syria in assists. And, hell, I'll come to you, Lucho. When you look at the Serbia team going into that final matchup against Switzerland, what do you think favors them? Or what do you think... I guess, how would you assess their chances going into that final matchup against Switzerland, given what yeah. you've seen today?
2: Yes, Mike, I was thinking about that, and I was looking at the team. Switzerland, once again, is a, a team. I was watching the uh, the game. It's a very well organized, very tough. It's difficult to 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 find a way of breaking them in defense. But once again, the end product they don't have players that they can manage to, uh, to, to score goals. Vargas on the left side and ball at the front, but no players who, who really can score two goals in, in a game. That's something that worries me a lot. We've we've been talking that in World Cup, if you work from the defense onwards, you have a lot uh, a lot of uh, chances to win. But definitely, you're gonna need players up front who can uh, make the and capitalise your chances. And I don't think that Switzerland is gonna have. And you see uh, the Serbian side. You got talent there. Kostic, uh, Tadic, uh, players who you know in the last set. Yes, with one set pieces can score a goal. Tadic, you know, that he's fantastic with his left foot, and the same like like Kostic. So at the end, even though they will do later prediction, I think the Croatia have more chances here. To, I'm sorry, Serbia has got more chances to to go through. I think they're gonna mm-hmm. be able to break the, uh, that Let's line because out. at the end they know how to how to hold at the back.
0: Yeah, yeah like I like that. With that. Go on. Heath's yeah, idea. yeah. No, I was just, i was going to say—I agree with that uh, quite a bit. I mean, uh, Switzerland are very much your your upper mid-tier uh, European style team. They're disciplined. They're—they're they're very tactical in the way they play. They're not going to make a lot of mistakes. But where they where they're strong in that regard, they don't have that big star, right? They play in a cohesive unit, and they're only as good as that cohesive unit is on that day. <clears throat> Whereas when you look on the flip side. For Serbia, when you talk about that front three or front four players, you know, whether it's Milinkovic, Savic, Tadic, Mitrovic, uh, as you mentioned, Kostic, uh, as well as some of the players coming off the bench, they have an ability to score goals. They have that creative flair. They have that ability on any given day. One of those players can rise to that challenge and do something spectacular for the team. And I think that could be the difference. So I like that. I like their chances. Uh, on on match day three of being able to get that result against switzerland. Although Switzerland are not going to give them a ton of ton of a ton of looks, I I, I still think mm-hmm. that they have the quality to be able to go through. And a lot of people's dark course in this tournament in terms of when you look at the quality of player they have in the attack, a lot of people see them being able to potentially make a run with that quality.
1: Yeah Rafa Cardenas <laughs> echoing <laughs> one of the funniest Rafa of the there. <laughs> so Rafa says Switzerland are the Volvo of international teams, sturdy, reliable, <laughs> and ultimately boring and predictable agreed, sounds agreed. like something our very own James Benge would say but he's not here, so we won't account for Benji's thoughts or concerns. <laughs> he usually puts those around the U.S. men's national team, so that's why we're not going <laughs> to mention any more of that because I know how you and I feel about that. Uh,
0: he's got to be quiet right now. He's got to be quiet. <laughs> England's, <laughs> England's got their on things the to work out. Well, again, we'll, take, we'll deal with that on another day, you know. <laughs>
1: yeah. To circle back on Onana, a big moment for Cameroon when your starting goalkeeper goes missing in action. And this happened days before. Heath, coming to you, as a defender, someone who's connected to the goalkeeper and the back line, what you know, can you take us in the minds of what must have been going through the Cameroonian back line and this team, really, when something like this happens, when your coach and your goalkeeper get into a big disagreement and there's a volatile reaction, goalkeeper's out, and he's out of the World Cup now?
0: Well, I mean, the the uh, I didn't read the full press statement, but from what the words that I did read, and I could be wrong on this, it was temporarily uh, suspended from the team, and so I don't know if that means for the for the remainder of the tournament. I haven't read the full release, so I'd be ha- I, I'd be interested to hear more on on how that's going to play out. But it's always a distraction, right? We're seeing this right now on the U.S. side between uh, Gio Reyna and Greg Berhalter, and all the speculation and rumors. It's you want to leave that, and perhaps inside that locker room, everybody's on the same page. But as it starts to trickle out. <clears throat> And the team starts to go through controversies and all those things, it starts to become a bigger deal and it starts manifesting itself in other ways. And so you hope that you can, you can uh, put it behind you, obviously, for them to be able to go and, 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 and get a result. Uh, in this match, so to speak. I think that's that's an important way of, of starting to to move beyond that. But it's hard to 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 not have that be at the forefront when you're in a locker room, you're sitting in the meal room, you have a player missing, player that's been an important part of your team. It's hard to look past those things and not speculate or start to divide the team as to whose side is is, is who on. You're gonna hear a side from the player, you're gonna hear a side from the coach, and you wanna be able to just get past that. So hopefully that coaching staff is able to pull that group together, discuss it openly, and then be able to move on from it because it's certainly a big miss.
1: And you could see some of the impact on some of the goals today. And coming to you, Lucho, if you're Cameroon, you're going up against Brazil, which is no easy feat, which is probably the worst team next to Argentina, maybe Portugal, what they've done in today's match that you could have in a decisive game. When your backs are up against the wall like this, if you're Cameroon, is there anything that you saw that gives you hope in this final matchup against Brazil?
2: To be honest, no, no, no mm. hope on this one. First of all, because now after this result, uh, it's going to give you, you, you need, and the needs come pressure, and the pressure gets uh, anxiety, and anxiety gets frustration, and all that is what Cameroon is going to feel it. And if you go on the other side, a team that, first of all, is qualified. Second of all, is probably one of the best squads that you can see in this World Cup. And third of all, they're, they're, the rotations that you're going to see, so you're going to have is that they want to show to the manager that they are good enough to play in the next coming years that they can count on them so they're going to have an extra effort on that game so the talent together with the hard work I think is going to be unbeatable this uh, Brazilian uh, the Brazilian sorry side um, uh, on the last game so very difficult for Cameroon to get something on that game and with the quality that this uh, Brazil team is going to just I just don't see Cameroon doing or getting something
1: I'm right there with you on this one, Lucho. So I, I think there's a snowball's chance in hell, maybe a snowball's chance in the volcano that's erupting in Hawaii as we <laughs> speak. Shout out to all the people in Hawaii. Hopefully they're <laughs> safe because Cameroon, you had your chance. You absolutely blew it. Only bright spot I see for Cameroon before we go to the preview, preview of tomorrow's matches is one of the first times we see Vincent Abubakar and Eric Maxime Chopamotin. Chopamoting cannot stop scoring this season for club <laughs> and country. Wonder if... They start together, and if good things happen, miracles do happen in the World Cup, but not this World Cup. Moving on to Tuesday, speaking of potential miracles, crossing my <laughs> fingers. You know where I'm going, Heath. You know where I'm going. I'm just going to let you take it. In soccer, we trust, own Heath Pierce, U.S. men's national team, going up against Iran. Group B, will start with that for a preview. England versus the lowly Welsh. Heath, take it away.
0: Would uh, yeah, so for, for anybody that's that's curious, you can catch the full the full uh match preview on on US versus Iran on In Soccer We Trust. You can head over to the YouTube channel or, or ISWT pod on on Twitter to, to 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 be able to follow us and stay up to date on all things US men's national team. But for this game, there's so many ties into this match. Obviously, both teams came to life in their second matches in the, in the group stages, the US still having left four points on the table after probably being able to well, after being able to get three points against wales and, and giving up that late penalty and then against england being the better of the two teams but still only leaving with a point leaves a lot to be desired again when you when you, when you go back to some of the points that lucho talked about you got all the tools But we don't have anybody that can score goals for us right now. We don't have anybody that's able to put the team in a situation where they're going to say, okay, whether we're playing well or not or we're against the run of play or with the run of play, I'm going to convert for this team, whether it's a set piece or not. We don't have that person right now. We've seen some flashes. But in this game against Iran, it's going to require somebody to be able to do that. Yes, the team collectively is going to have to play well, but somebody is going to have to be the star in that big moment and put the team on their shoulders. If they don't, then I think this team is not going to be able to get out of this group because Iran only need to get a draw. They can play a little bit differently. They can play more conservative. They can change their lines throughout the game. They can play a little bit more tactically where the U.S. is going to have to take some Uh, higher and more strategic risks if they want to get out of the group. I still like the U.S.'s chances. I want to see the best players get on the field. I'm not sure we'll see that with the way that Greg Berhalter wants to play. The biggest question is around the nine. Who is going to be the nine? Because we've tried Josh Sargent there, um, and we've we've tried Haji Wright there, neither of which have really performed in that situation, and we haven't gotten a lot of goal-scoring production. So it's going to come down to what those final changes are in the attack, but ultimately it's going to be a very difficult result added to – the pressures and the stresses of everything happening between the U.S. and Iran politically, both on the social media side as well as all the things happening off the field. So it's a lot to play for. I'm nervous about it, but I can't wait.
2: <laughs> I can see. I can I can see. I can hear that in your voice. Here. But definitely my, my concern, and I'm, I will throw it back to you once again, is um, we've seen in two games. Uh, I think that the, the midfielder with uh, Taylor Armand is just fantastic. I know he understands. What is needed, I think it is one, and for me, the best player at the moment in the U.S. national team because he understands very well what is needed in every single moment and every single phase of the game when it needs to be slowed down, to get faster. He's covering so much space. He's covering the other players with with McKinney on one side. But my concern is where are the players like Aronson and Gio Reina, the creative player? Once again, it's so difficult to find players who can break lines of defense, who can make something unpredictable. And when you got players like them, that when they are on the ball, we've seen Gio uh, Reyna just grabbing the ball in half of the of the pitch and uh, beating four players, just uh, dropping the shoulder. You need these kind of players when you need to create chances. You are not creating enough chances. You will mention that you don't have a, a player who can... And the pro from nowhere, you need four, five chances to get maybe one goal. So you need these creative players. So the the the, the defense to the open the opponent side can be worried about them because they don't know how to control it. They move so much. Why politics is such an important player for this U.S. national, national team? Because he appears so many different. He's got the freedom to go anywhere else, and he can turn to the right, turn to the left, change the speed, they shoot with the right, pass with the left. So these kind of players are so important. So I was missing Gio Reyna, and I was missing Aronson in the last couple of games. And that's why I don't know what what are your thoughts, but the midfield is strong. It's, it's a lot of fight. It's a lot of... Uh, a battle over there, you can control it, but you don't have that player who can link with the players up front. Uh, yeah, I, I, I fully I, agree. Yeah, go underneath, you go take ahead, this.
0: Mike. No, no. I mean, my, my only thought to that is I fully agree. I think that's been the problem, right, is is what is the balance? You look against the U.S. and it took us 25 minutes or uh, mm. against England, sorry. It took about 25 minutes to settle in where you saw not just one player like we usually do, but three, four of the young guys kind of look each other in the eyes and go, OK, we can match up with these guys. We can play against these guys. We can compete. That was on the competitive level. That was the fight level, right? But then you need to start adding those creative pieces. And when you miss those, you leave it to, again, a moment of brilliance as opposed to the run of play of, really forcing England and now Iran to have to fear you and respect you and say, okay, man, force them to the right side. Okay. The right side is now getting overrun. Let's get them back to the and really tried to constantly having to solve problems. So I think it's certainly an issue. Hopefully we get to see some of those creative players on the field, though. I, though I'm not holding my breath at this point. <laughs>
1: well, it leads me to ask you guys this. There's two burning questions. I'll leave the last one for when we go out, we go out on a high as always, but my first burning question, and I'll ask you this ETH. And then Lucho, given what you've seen, you're Greg Berhalter. You said it yourself, Heath. Two strikers didn't deliver. At what point do you play Jesus Ferreira or do you just go back to one of the other two?
0: Yeah, I mean, for, for me, and, and I don't think we'll see it, but uh, the U.S. was good against England because they played a sort of a hybrid two-striker system that put Timothy Weah higher up on the field and then closer to the middle of the field. That started to create that connectivity with that midfield three as well as that connectivity with the other striker, and I really like that for periods. The upside of putting a, 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 a team away into the midfield or as your your sort of false nine or, or even traditional nine is it's going to give you more freedom to put a Brendan Aronson on the field or a Gio Reyna so you can solve the problem. Sometimes you have to accept that you don't have a nine. You don't have the nine that's going to provide for you, and you've seen now, and especially in the modern game, teams are willing to say, well, we don't have a nine, so let's play something different. Man City is the perfect example of that forever, and there, there's plenty of examples out there of teams that – aren't the man cities of the world that have to make those adjustments. Now, whether Greg Berhalter is willing to do that or not, or it's a little bit more of a hybrid system, uh, is, is to be determined. But I would love to see that because I don't think Jesus Ferreira is the right fit. Otherwise, he would have played already. I don't think Josh Sharjian's sown enough in, in the minutes that he's had. And then Haji Wright, same things. There's flashes. He's a little bit more of a your traditional striker that can run the channels, hold the ball, and do those things. But when we're talking about needing to win against Iran because they just need to draw, we're going to need to put our best attacking players on the field that are willing to take risks at the right times to put the team in the position to win.
2: Yeah, I go. I'll go that... Spain doesn't have a number nine, but you go three players uh, with a lot of movement, a lot of creativity, with a good sense of uh, what is happening around the box. So I think my, my big concern is in the middle where you got Yunus Musa, you go McKinney, that they are very similar players, strong, quick, that they can arrive from second line. But at the end, when you are talking about that, pass, that last pass, that's la- that find the gap, that find that right moment, the pass in the right moment, the last there, I think is missing. That's why I'm missing something. Maybe I'm not saying changing the the whole system, but at least adding someone else who can bring something different. That's uh, my only point and my only concern up front. You will mention guys, uh, right? Uh, Sargent, uh, where they can all, I think, fit and, and score goals, but they're going to need to be fitted with good balls.
1: Uh, lots of questions, big questions for Greg Burhalter to answer. His saving grace is the fact that the U.S. men's national team have a game that matters in this last match day. USA, Iran. And let's not forget about some of the other games going on in Group B, Wales versus England. A player, we talk about things the teams are missing, a player that's been missing in action. Gareth Bale alongside his counterpart, Aaron Ramsey. Quick thought on this one. I'll go to you, Lucho. Uh, is this foregone conclusion? England to beat Wales, or do the Welsh really stand a chance?
2: No, I don't think so. I think that uh, England is gonna do the job. Um, I've seen, and once again, we're gonna talk about what is happening in the front. And Wales has been always a team that is gonna put you a lot of fight. It's gonna put you a lot of battles in every single line. They're gonna be organized. They're gonna try to make great transitions. But Garrett Bay is not anymore the Garrett Bale that we all know. It's gonna be assisted and surrounded by players who can also. Uh, take uh, the, the spotlight from him and it's not happening and it's not working and at the end of course there is a piece. if he's got a chance uh, from outside the box or maybe a good cross he can be important but uh, if you see the way that England has been defending I think it's been fantastic I think it's a team that is at the moment yes being conservative they are not uh, uh, displaying all the power that they have and I think if they're going to need they're going to put one more year and uh, we'll just get, uh, get the win and I think that Wales doesn't have a chance. Maybe they give, they will shut me down after the game with a two-year win, <laughs> but that's the way I've seen at the moment.
1: Yeah, uh, HP3 going to the next match, the big one in this group, alongside I think one of the biggest matches for Dark Horses at the FIFA World Cup, Group A, Senegal-Ecuador. I mean, these are two teams that a lot was talked about, not so much Ecuador, really people getting a lot of hope and belief about this Ecuadorian team. What do you see going in this match between the two?
0: Well, you don't, you know, finish fourth in in, in CONMEBOL South American World Cup qualifying without having something special, right? You can go on a run there, but when you've got to play, I think it's 18 games against all the teams from down there, you've got to have um, something to your team to be able to qualify. And so they're obviously yeah. showing that in their abilities, surprisingly with a number of players that aren't playing at huge clubs. Um, but but again, have that mix of fight. They have that team cohesion. And this is going to be one that's going to be diffi- really difficult to predict in terms of who's going to come out on top in this one. I'd like to see Ecuador be able to pull this off. Senegal also um, with, with so much to play for. My gut tells me. And again, I could be wrong on this. I'd love to get your your, 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 your guys' take on this is that that's that uh, Ecuador are going to be able to squeak this one out. Um, and mm-hmm. sorry, uh, Ecuador finished third in qualifying and uh, bowl. Sorry, I had that wrong. But either way, to qualify from there as not one of the big the big sort of three or four to see Colombia not qualify for a World Cup and see an Ecuador come in after that many games, you have to be so. So good, but Ecuador, uh, I think again, are showing this fight and this belief and this spirit that they've gone this far. So why not go a little bit further? And I could see mm-hmm. that being the difference in in them getting out of the group stages.
1: Uh, Ecuador, oh, mind you, sorry Lucho, to, to interrupt. Ecuador, mind you, not playing with Ender Valencia. That could be a big difference maker. Go on, is that Luto. is
0: that confirmed? I know that he's got a little bit of a knock, but but I I was reading well, potentially. That he's okay I shouldn't again. say yeah. not
1: confirmed, yeah. but potentially yeah. that could be a big miss
2: yeah but it's still uh, it's still not 100% and i think he's is a key player uh, for them and mm. is a goal scorer he's probably one of the leaders of the team if not the leader and that's a a massive concern and on the other side the pressure once again of needed to win the game they are teams that they they deal with them uh, better than all the other one. And I think ecuador they surprised us all in the second game uh, showing an amazing strength and an amazing reaction after yeah. receiving what what they received but definitely, I think the Senegal has got the strength, has got the ability, and I think they can overrun every single team. Mm-hmm. I, I, I predicted in the beginning that Senegal was going uh, to go through, and I still think that this team didn't have the results. In the first game against the Netherlands, they were they were almost as good as the Netherlands, but the Netherlands at the end they got the, the end product better than them. So I still think that uh, uh, Senegal is going to uh, do the job and go through.
1: Uh, Strong sentiments from both of you making good cases in that matchup. Let's not forget the Dutch. The Dutch, they haven't looked their best. The Dutch going up against Qatar, the first team eliminated from the FIFA World Cup. Let's just all be in agreement that 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 might get ugly and ugly quick. Cody Gakpo has starred in this World Cup. Young talent, big transfer target. Hopefully Fabrizio will be talking about that in days to come or after the World Cup. Last question for you, Heath, and we'll close out on this. And, Lucho, you can jump in on it as well if you have thoughts on it. Given the final match day, U.S. has a good chance. If the U.S. qualifies for the round of 16, which team out of Group A would you prefer them to face?
0: I would say probably Ecuador. I think it's probably their best chance, Uh, again, stylistically in terms of the way that they'll roll out. I think if if there were to, if they are, I think the US just traditionally hasn't fared well against some of the 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 African nations just in terms of meet, meeting meeting the demands of, of what that game is going to take staying disciplined in, in those moments I think the US would match up much better against an Ecuador side who could be a little bit more predictable I think Senegal has a few more x factors that could punish the US as well and then obviously you don't want to face Holland because they've they've got so many Good quality players that you just hope that, that that they finish top of the group, which I think they obviously mm-hmm. will playing against Qatar in their final match. Um, but that's the way that I see that. I think Ecuador would be a good matchup. I think the US has, has, have always done decently well against Ecuador when they faced off generally in in, mm-hmm. in friendly matches. But still, that stylistic uh, play, I I, I I like that. If you look again against uh, a team like uh, a Senegal. I don't like the odds for the U S so I think that's somebody that you want to, you want to avoid as, as, as Lucho mentioned, they've got so much quality and talent um, even without Mane, that they, they just, yeah, yeah it's tough.
2: Yeah, it it will be tough, but um, unfortunately, it looks like it's going to be the Netherlands. (laughs) But if you want to face the Netherlands, you don't want to face the Netherlands from the uh, qualifiers. You want to see the uh, face the Netherlands that they are at the moment with a lot of doubts. You can see the players' uh, body language around, looking at each other, like saying what is happening. I saw the other day Frankie de Jong. At the end of the game, receiving the MVP, just talking about, we didn't play well. Why did they give me this trophy? And he was coming down, grabbing the ball from the center back. There was no movement. Klassen wasn't appearing in the center of the park. There is a lot of doubts on team, And of course, they still not having a a center forward who can give them enough goals. So if you want to face the Netherlands, you want to face them now in one game and with a lot of pressure to go through. So why not? Why not? You can see a chance over there. Hey, Mike, real quick, the reason the reason why I said
0: Ecuador is because you yeah. guys didn't ask me what my predictions were for England-Wales. Wales are beating England, and the U.S. is finishing top of the group. You, know? you guys are missing out. I didn't, I I didn't get to give my context on that. Wales are going to uh, smash England. U.S. finishes top of the group, and then we take on Ecuador finishing, finishing second. It's just uh, the way it
1: is. Man, Heath, from your lips to Christian Pulisic, Tim Wea, Gio Reyna, Brendan Aronson, and the whole attacking line's boots. I hope and pray that that happens. But one thing I can say with confidence, if Frankie DeYoung doesn't want to receive that man of the match award, I actually would prefer that I give it to both of you. You guys are my men of the match. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for your input and cannot wait for more to come. This has been house of champions. See you guys next time.